Where in the Old Testament, in the book of Numbers, it's the third book of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, fourth book, sorry, I lied. And so as we get now to chapter 11 of the book of Numbers, man, if you've been with us on Wednesday nights, we're, again, we're, we're, we're following the nation of Israel as they were in Egypt for 400 years. The whole nation of Israel, of Israel was in Egypt for 400 years. They were slaves in Egypt for 400 years. But God used a man named Moses. And God called this man named Moses out of, the, out of Egypt. And he told him, hey, through you, I'm going to deliver my people. And through you, I'm going to set my people free. And so we see that God uses man named Moses, who at first was hesitant. He's like, man, who am I? You know, why, why me, God? He was happy just being a shepherd out in the field. He was happy just being a nobody, right? Uh, in the beginning of, of his life, you know, he had aspirations. He wanted to be used by God, but he kind of uh, got ahead of himself, and he ended up crashing and failing and burning miserably. And then later on in his life, when he was already 80 years old, God called him again. He says, all right, now you're ready. Now I'm going to use you. And Moses didn't want anything to do with God. He didn't want anything to do with the call of God. But uh, we see that God used him. You know, eventually he was obedient to the call of God and God used him to deliver the nation of Israel from Egypt and to bring them now into, into the wilderness. And so the book of Numbers, again, covers a period of about 39 years that, that the nation of Israel is in the wilderness. God promised him that he was going to take them from Egypt into a specific place, a city called Canaan, which is the, the, the promised land for the nation of Israel. Right, so that's their destination. Keep that in mind that as they're leaving Egypt, they're on their way to Canaan. Now, it was, it was supposed to be an 11-day journey. And what was supposed to be an 11-day journey ended up turning into 40 years because of their disobedience. And so we see that because they disobeyed God, because they complained against God, because they, they murmured against God, we're told that, that, that now uh, a whole generation pretty much had to die off. And then then God was going to bring him to this promised land. So what needed to be a journey of about, of about 11 days ended up being 40 years. And so here in chapter 11, up until this point from chapter 1 to 10, we've seen that, that man, they've been obedient to God. Right? He's told them, all right, you're going to make a tabernacle, you're going to make this, you're going to make that. And they're hearing from God and, and, and they've been obedient to God this whole time. But now, as we get into chapter 11, we see that, that uh, they're going to begin to disobey God and it's going to cost them a lot. And so chapter 11, verse 1 says, Now, when the people complained, it displeased the Lord. And the, for the Lord heard it, and his anger was aroused. So the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some in the outskirts of the camp. And then the people cried out to Moses. And when Moses prayed to the Lord, the fire was quenched. And so he called the name of that place Taborah, which literally means burning in Hebrew. It says, because of the fire of the Lord had burned among them. So what's happening again is that now as the nation of Israel, again, they're, they're in the wilderness. They, day one, they set out to journey. God says, right, now it's time for you, to, you guys to begin walking. They set out to journey, and it says that, that the people began to complain. Right? The people began to complain, and we're told that it displeased the Lord. Man, that's heavy because here they are, their first journey out, and all of a sudden they begin to complain against God. Now that word complain actually means uh, expressing some type of dissatisfaction you know, with, with whatever it is that they're complaining against. Dissatisfaction. And so what they're doing is that they're showing that they are dissatisfied with God. And so we see that it was a severe, it was severe accusation that they're bringing before the Lord because they're saying, God, we're not satisfied with you. Up until this point, keep in mind that he's been their protector, right? He's been a, a, a fire for them at nighttime that keeps them warm, that keeps them safe, that gives them light. He's been a, a cloud, of, a, a pillar of cloud in the daytime that, that keeps them from, get, from getting burned from the hot sun. He's been providing for them uh, what we know as manna, which is like this miraculous food in the wilderness. When they were thirsty, God told Moses, right, strike the rock, you know, and water is going gonna, gonna to gush forth. So he's been giving them food. He's been giving them shelter. He's been giving them uh, uh, their drink. 
He's been giving them everything they could ever ask for. Now he's taking them to the promised land where they're going to dwell forever. And yet they begin to complain. And now we don't know exactly what, what the complaint was about. But we're told that they were just dissatisfied with what God had given them. Right? Amen. <clears throat> that kind of sometimes descriptive of, of a lot of our lives too. Where we don't realize what it is that God has blessed us with and we begin to complain. Right? <clears throat> a lot of times complaining comes when we begin to compare ourselves to somebody else. Oh man, well, Lord, I'm a believer too, and how come I'm this and that, and I, I don't have this, and they have this, and they have that, and look, he's got a house, and they've got kids, and this, that, the other, he's got a good job, and we begin to compare our lives with somebody else, and we think, God, you're unfair, I'm not satisfied with what you have given me, right, and we find ourselves in, that, in those places as believers, and we see that for the believer, for the, for the new man, the new woman in Christ, we see that complaining should not be part of our character traits, Right? Complaining is not a gift of the Holy Spirit and, 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 and it doesn't look good on a believer right? when we begin to complain against the things of the Lord. Right? And so as, as the people began to complain against God, again, we're told that, that it displeased the Lord. Now, this is heavy because they were probably complaining amongst each other, right? not thinking that anybody was going to notice. But you will see that, that it went all the way to God's throne. Man, it's heavy that God heard it. They were probably just complaining amongst each other. Hey, man, did you get a hold of this, this, that, whatever, right? They probably even even say it loudly. They were probably complaining within their own houses. And yet we're told that it displeased the Lord, man. So that tells us that a complaining heart or a, or a dissatisfied heart, man, God takes note of that, right? When, when He's blessed us, when He's called us out, when He's cleansed us, He's washed us, He's forgiven us. We're like, you know what, God, it's still not enough. You know, it, God, take, God, God listens to that heart. And so He says that it displeased the Lord, for the Lord heard it, and His anger was aroused. Notice that, that the Lord heard it. And then we're going to see later on that the complaining is actually not just going to, going to stay there, but it's going to spread out to someone else. And that's the thing about complaining. You know, that typically you'll notice that you have no complaints until someone else brings it up. Right? You're just like, man, you're doing fine. And all of a sudden somebody starts complaining. Hey, have you ever noticed? I'm like, you know what? Yeah, I never noticed. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> right? It's been said that if uh, you ever want to start a conversation with anybody, just start complaining about something. And the weather, huh? Oh, yeah, the weather. Hey man, uh, the this, huh? yeah, yeah, this, and and it's like the the number one, you know, great great uh, uh, equalizer is complaining, right? Because we could all find something to complain about, and it's like man, sometimes it even brings it together, right? If you're dissatisfied with this, you'll find someone else who's dissatisfied with the same thing, and so we see that the children of Israel begin to complain against the Lord, and it angered the Lord, <clears throat> and we're told that the fire of the Lord burned among them, and it consumed some of them in the outskirts of the camp. You might think, man, it's kind of harsh. Right? Well, but they're just complaining. All of a sudden, God comes and he, and he, and he, and he burns them up. Right? Well, we see that, that they had a great responsibility. Right? We see that they're complaining against God. Uh, it, was, it was severe because of this. Because they had God's presence with them in their midst. Meaning that they were responsible for more. Right? And the more light that we have, man, the more that we're responsible to. And so just like the, with the Word of God, I mean, it's kind of similar to the Word of God. Because the Word of God cleanses us, washes us provides for us, right? It speaks to us. And it's like, the more you study the Word, you're more, the more you hear the Bible taught, the more uh, you read the Bible yourself, the more you learn about the Word, it's like all of a sudden we're held accountable for more, right? Because now we can't say, all right, God, why well, I don't know. Like, yeah, you did, you read it. On this day and that day at this hour, you read it. You even made a mark in your Bible. Like, man. So it's like the more we know, the more truth we know, the more we're, we're held accountable to. And that goes to say for anything. And so for the children of Israel who had, uh, they had the fire of God at nighttime, they had his, the, the, the pillar of cloud in the daytime. They heard his audible voice. They saw him provide manna for them miraculously in the wilderness. They saw him pr provide water for them miraculously in the wilderness. They saw Moses go up and the, the mountain thunder and smoke come down. They heard the voice of God audibly. 
And so for them to complain against this God whom, whom they had a lot of lie about, man, uh, they were held accountable for more because they had seen more, right? They had more knowledge. And so we see that God, that the fire of the Lord burned amongst them. And we're told that it, it burned some of those who were in the outskirts of the camp. And then the people cried out to Moses. And when Moses prayed to the Lord, we're told that the fire was quenched. Right. And now in verse 4 it says, Now the mixed multitude who were among them yielded to intense craving. And so the children of Israel also wept again. And they said, Who will give us meat to eat? And so we're introduced now to this mixed multitude. So this is our, these are two separate, two separate occasions and two separate events in which the children of Israel now are complaining. The first one was here in, the, in verses 1 through 3. And now the second time here is uh, beginning there in verse 4. And we're introduced to this mixed multitude. The book of Exodus tells us that when the nation of Israel was brought out of Egypt, that it wasn't just uh, Israelites who came out of Egypt with them. You know, but it was people of other nations as well. And we call them the mixed multitude. There were people of other, uh, of other nations, other people groups who were in Egypt, probably slaves as well. And when they saw what God had done for the, for the Israelites, man, they joined themselves to the Israelites. We're told later on that a man by the name of Caleb... Right, uh, who was who? He's a Kenizzite. We're told he was a Kenizzite, and he be, he joined himself with the with the tribe of Judah, and so he wasn't nationally an Israelite. Right, so there was this mixed multitude there in Egypt. Apart from the Israelites, there was this mixed multitude of different people groups from different backgrounds, different nationalities, who were also slaves, and they joined Israel as as God delivered them from slavery. And so we're told that now it was this mixed multitude who were among them that yielded to intense craving. I mean, as they were out there, they were walking in the wilderness. They begin to crave something. And it says this in verse 5. It says, We remember the fish which we ate freely in Egypt, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now our whole being is dried up. There is nothing at all except this manna before our eyes. Verse 7 says, Now the manna was like coriander seed, and it's colored like the color of uh, bedillium. It says, The people went about and gathered it. They ground it on millstones. Or they beat it on a mortar, they cooked it in pans and made cakes of it. And its taste was like the taste of pastry prepared with oil. And when the dew fell on the camp in the night, the manna fell on it. And verse 10 says, Then Moses heard the people weeping throughout their families, everyone at the door of his tent. And the anger of the Lord was greatly aroused. And Moses was also displeased. And so we're told again now the second time that they're complaining. <clears throat> We're told that this second complaining was started by the mixed multitude. And, and what was the source of their complaining? We're told that they, they, they began to complain because they, they yielded to their cravings. And they said, who will give us meat to eat? They've been in the wilderness for, for a couple of weeks now, a few months now actually, close to a year. Close to like 11 months they've been in the wilderness now. They've been uh, eating from God's provision, that manna. But all of a sudden they begin to crave meat. Like, man, you remember that fish we used to have in Egypt? We remember all those different spices, all the different vegetables we had in Egypt. And so they begin to, to crave it and they give in to it. So much so that it affects everyone else around them. And they're like, hey, you guys remember that? Like, yeah, you know, we remember that. How come God, how come God doesn't give us meat? And, and so they begin to complain saying, who will give us meat to eat? And they begin to, com to remember all the things that they ate in Egypt. Man, it's in that's crazy how sin can affect our, 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 our logic. Right? Because they begin to remember, man, remember when we had meat in Egypt? And that's all they thought about. And they complained against God. But yet they forgot, man, we were uh, forced to be uh, slave labor. Right? We were forced to work under harsh conditions. We had uh, these, uh, these, these uh, heavy taskmasters over us who would whip us, who would beat us, who would you know, pretty much just work us all day long. But yet they don't remember those things in that moment. Right? All they can remember was just, man, remember what we ate? It was so good. Remember that fish? 
Remember those cucumbers? Remember all those vegetables that we had? Remember all that good food? Right? And sin will do that to us, man. As we're, <clears throat> if we entertain sin long enough, you begin to remember all the things you used to do when you were you know, a non-believer. Or all the, all the other things you did before you were saved. And typically, we don't remember the bad stuff. You remember all the good stuff, all the fun times, right? Uh, you remember all the exciting times. You remember all the good times. But we, we, we never think about, man, all the destruction I brought. Destruction for myself, for my family, for those around me, right? For those who love me. Right? How much it hurt me, how much it hurt those around me, how much it had me in bondage. How much I was a slave to these things, how much I couldn't be set free. Right? But, but when temptation comes in and you begin to think about the sin, right? That, that used to, quote unquote, enjoy in the world. And Satan will blind your eyes to all the negative of that. And he will blind your eyes and he'll, he'll have you now remember, man, that you were a slave to that thing and that you were miserable. And in that moment, all you remember is the good times. Man, I remember how I felt. Man, I remember how much fun I had. Man, I remember all the people I met while I was doing it. Right? But yeah, you won't think about all the bad stuff and the, and the feeling of remorse afterwards, the feeling of shame afterwards, the feeling of guilt afterwards, right? the damage you caused. And that's what they're doing right now is that they're remembering, man, We've been walking out here with the Lord for about a year now. He's been providing for us. But remember what we had in Egypt? Right? And they're thinking only about the good stuff, the food. Right? Man, you remember the food? And they're giving into this intense craving of the food. And really what they're saying is, they're saying, as they said, who will give us meat to eat? They know that's been God who's been providing for them. They know that's been God Almighty who's been providing for them. And what they're saying is, man, the gods of Egypt gave us fish, gave us all these things. And this God has only given us manna. That's what they're doing is that they're, they're comparing God and they're staying with, with God now at, to their life before. All right? And so we see that because of that, we're told that, the, that Moses heard the people weeping to their families and everyone at the door of their tent and the anger of the Lord was greatly aroused. And Moses also was displeased. Verse 11 says, So Moses said to the Lord, Why have you afflicted your servant? Moses said, Man, why me, Lord? He says, and why have I not found favor in your sight that you have laid the burden of all these people on me? He says, did I conceive all these people? He said, man, are they my kids? Did I beget them that you should say to me, carry them in your bosom? (coughs) He says, did I conceive all these people? He says, uh, as a guardian carries a nursing child to the land which you swore to their fathers, where I'm going to give them meat to eat. He said, where am I going to get meat? To give to all these people. It says, for they weep all over me, saying, <coughs> sorry. <coughs> I'm doing fine up there right now. Does anybody have a cough drop? Not there, no? I do. Okay. Can I have one? Uh, can someone read from verse 11 through <coughs> 15? 11? Yeah. Uh, <coughs> Moses said to the Lord, Why have you afflicted your servant? And why have I found, not found favor in your sight that you have laid the burden of all these people on me? Did I conceive all these people? Did I beget them that you should say to me, carry them in your bosom as a guardian carries a nursing child to the land which you swore to their fathers? Where am I to get them meat to give to all? Where am I to get meat to give to all these people? For they all weep all over me, saying, "Give us meat that we that we may eat." I am not able to bear all these people alone because the burden is too heavy for me. And verse 15. If you treat me like this, please kill me here and now. If I have found favor in your sight, and do not let me see my wretchedness. 
So we see that as the people begin to complain among themselves, <clears throat> then we're told that it affects the other crowd. Now it gets to the ears of Moses, and now it gets to the ears of God. And so we see that even Moses affected man. Being a leader over about a few million people, you could imagine, man, man, you're in your household and if just somebody starts complaining to you or you're at work, all right, man, this is that. I mean, you get burdened. Imagine having millions of people complaining. We're hungry. We want meat. And Moses, man, he says, God, what did I do to deserve this? He was overwhelmed. He was burdened. He was overwhelmed by the people's complaints. Right? He was overwhelmed by the, by the, by the people's complaints. Interesting that in the book of Philippians, uh, Paul, as, he, as he's writing to the church there, there at Philippi, you know, he's exhorting them uh, about the conduct of the believer and how, and how a, a believer is to, is to conduct himself you know, in the world so that he could be a, a witness and a testimony for the rest of the world. <clears throat> and as Paul is writing to them there in the book of the, uh, Philippians, one of the things that he tells them, he says, so that you can continue to be lights in this dark world, he says, keep yourself from complaining. That's one of the things that he says. He says, keep yourself from from complaining. And so we see that, that, that complaining, again, it's not to be a characteristic of the believer. There in Philippians 2.14, he says, do all things without complaining and disputing, so that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. He's holding fast the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ. And that it says that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. And so Paul tells him, he says, man, for you as believers, he says, so that you could continue to be a light in the world. He says, one of the things he says, keep yourselves from complaining. Man, <clears throat> it's understandable for somebody who doesn't know God to complain about everything. Oh, man, my job. Oh, man, my, my family. Hey, man, my kid. Hey, man, my wife, my husband, my this, that, the other, my circumstances. Right? It's understandable because they don't know God. It's all right, man, well, I would be complaining too. Right? But for a person who has been born again, right, has received the Holy Spirit, has received the forgiveness of God, has a relationship with Jesus, and for us to complain about, man, what it is that God has given us, it says a lot about, about, about our hearts with the Lord, right? because we're not recognize, recognizing what it is that God has blessed us with. And so for, for the, the, the children of Israel that are there in the wilderness, again, they begin to complain. And it's like their eyes are blinded to everything that God had done for them up until that point. He brought 10 plagues upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. Right through those ten plagues, he, he brought them out of Egypt. He split the Red Sea so they could walk on dry ground, and then as soon as they walked, the seas closed and they drowned the Egyptians. Right, he 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 took care of them. And he led them in the wilderness. He was a light to them at nighttime. He was a cloud at daytime. Gave them food. Gave them drink. And what they're saying is, God, we're not satisfied with that. And we're not satisfied with that. And so we're, we're told that Moses was burdened. He was he was burdened. He began to tell God, God, what did I do to deserve this? Right? Why have you laid the burden of these people on me? Right? He says, did I conceive them? Did I beget them? He says, they weep all over me saying, give us meat that we may eat. He says, and he's saying, man, where am I supposed to get all this meat for them, God? And this is what God tells Moses there in verse 16. He says, so the Lord said to Moses, gather to me 70 men of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be the elders of the people and officers over them. Bring them to the tabernacle of meeting, that they may stand there with you. Then I will come down and talk to with, with you. Because I will take of the spirit that is upon you, and will put that same spirit on them. And they shall bear the burden of the people with you, that you may not bear it yourself alone. 
Then you shall say to the people, all right, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow and you shall eat meat. For you have wept in the hearing of the Lord, saying, who will give us meat to eat? For <clears throat> it was well with us in Egypt. Therefore, the Lord will give you meat and you shall eat. And you shall eat not one day, not two days, not five days, not 10 days, nor 20 days, but for a whole month. He said, man, you guys want meat? He says, all right, I'm going to give you meat. Not for a day, not for five days, not for 20 days, but for a whole month. He says, verse 20, for a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and becomes loathsome to you because you have despised the Lord who is among you and have wept before him saying, why did we ever come up out of Egypt? And we see that that was a sin. It wasn't that they were asking for meat, right? That in itself is not sinful. God is not this cruel God who's like, no, you should have never asked me for that in the first place. That's not God. That's not God. God being a good God, man, he would have, he would have uh, blessed him with that anyway. But it would, the sin and then asking for the meat was their dissatisfaction with who God was and what God had done for them and bring them out of Egypt and being their God. Right? That's what they were dissatisfied, dissatisfied about. They were saying, why did we ever come up out of Egypt? It's like us saying, man, Lord, why'd you ever even save me? Why'd you ever even forgive me? Why'd you ever even die on the cross for me? That's what he's saying. Right? Interesting that in the New Testament, then in the Gospel of John, uh, Jesus, as he's addressing the, the, the religious leaders, he says, your fathers ate manna in the wilderness. He says, and I tell you this, that, that, that I am that bread that fell from heaven. He says, your fathers ate bread in the wilderness and died. He says, but I am that bread that fell in, that fell in the wilderness. And so Jesus says that what happened here in the Old Testament, in the book of Numbers, Exodus, Deuteronomy, as God fed a manna in the wilderness, we're told that that was actually a foreshadow of Jesus. Right? Because God provided for them miraculously or else he would have died. And Jesus would go on to tell the religious, the religious leaders, your fathers, your fathers ate of that manna and they died. But whoever eats of the bread that I give shall never die. And so we see that this manna in the wilderness was actually a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ himself. And so for them to reject this manna, in a sense, they're rejecting God. Because it had such uh, a deep uh, meaning. Because it meant, man, it was, it was talking about the Messiah, it was talking about Jesus. So in, in a sense, they're saying, you know, we're rejecting God, we're, we're rejecting Jesus. And so they're saying, man, why did we ever even come up out of Egypt? And so God says, all right, you guys are, are, want me? I'm going to give you meat until it comes out of your nostrils, until you're sick of it. And one thing I want with the Lord is that uh, we pray for a lot of things, right? And sometimes we don't know what to pray for. But my prayer is this. After I'm done praying and I, after I'm done talking to God, I will say, Lord, give me, what, give me what's best. Don't give me what I want. Because sometimes what I want is not, is not what's best. And I don't know that, right? But God knows that. So I pray, Lord, give me, give me what, what you think is best for me. Lord, as you see fit. These people were crying out for me, but we see that it wasn't, the, it wasn't what was best for them. Right? But God's going to give it to them because they, they, they wanted it so bad. And we see that God's not going to... Man, if, if you want something so bad and God is trying to warn you from it and try to keep you from it, He's only going to do it for so long, but He's not going to force you. So He says, all right, man, if you want to go that way, you can, you can go that way. Right? God's not going to force you to stay. God's not going to force you to obey Him. But He'll warn you. And so as the people were crying out for these things, right, God's going to give them what they, were, what they wanted so bad. And, and man, that's one of my prayers is like, Lord, please don't, ever, don't let me ever get to that point where I want something so bad, even if it's outside of your will. Right, Lord, give me what you think is best, not what I want. Because my, my understanding is limited. It's finite. Man, but God is infinite. Right? He's sovereign. You know, man, he sees, the Bible says that he sees our life from beginning to end as if it was one. Right? We see in moments of time. 
We could be going through difficulties. We could be going through struggles. And we think, God, if I just had this, man, it'd be all over. God, if I just had this, I'd be happy. Lord, if you just gave me this, just I want this so bad and that's it. This job, this house, this, that, the other, whatever. If you just give me this, man, Lord, I'll be happy. I'll, I'll be good. I'll be set. But yeah, we can't see the whole plan. We can't see the big picture. God sees the big picture. Right. We just had the rose parade a couple of days ago or yesterday, for I don't know what, when it was. And um, I liken God to kind of the, the, the Goodyear blimp. Right? Some, one person might be at this corner and the other person might be at this corner. And as the floats are passing by, this guy calls him, hey, have you seen this, this float that's passing by? It's got flowers and this. The guy over here says, no, I haven't seen it yet. Why? Because it, it takes time for it to get to that side. So you have to live in moments of time. But God is like the good, like the good of your blimp, that he sees all of them all at once. This guy might be saying, hey, man, watch out for this float because they're throwing this at what I, and he's, he's not there yet. But God is right here, man. He sees everything happen all at once as if it was just one moment. Right? And sometimes we pray for these things. God, help me. Or God, provide for this. Or God, give me this. Give me that. Give me the other. And we don't realize that, man, God has a big picture in mind. Right? He's going to uh, bless us as he sees fit. And so it goes on to say there in verse 21, it says, and Moses said, the people whom, whom I am among are 600,000 men on foot. Yet you have said, I will give them meat that they may eat for a whole month. And so Moses is tripping like, man, Lord, there's a lot of people. That's a lot of meat to feed. It says, shall flocks and herds be slaughtered for them to provide enough for them? Or shall all fish of the sea be gathered together for them to provide enough for them? And the Lord said to Moses, has the Lord's arm been shortened? says, now you will see whether what I say will happen to you or not. God told Moses, look, I'm going to give him meat to eat. And Moses, in his understanding, said, man, how is that even possible? We don't have enough animals to feed all these people. Right? But we see that man's incapabilities right, are God's possibilities. Right? What, my, what man is incapable of doing, man, God is, is possible of doing. Why? Because God is the God of the miraculous. One, one of my favorite verses is Ephesians 3.20, which says, to him who does exceedingly, abundantly, above what we could ask or even imagine. That's who God is. And the biggest thing you could imagine, the biggest thing you could even think of, and God is bigger than that. Right? That's who God is. To him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above what we could ask or even imagine. And so Moses is saying, man, where are we going to get all this food for these people, God? And God says, hey, man, is my arm short? I mean, hey, am I not able to, to provide for them? He says, now you're going to see whether I say it's going to happen or not. And verse 24 says, So Moses went out and told the people the words of the Lord. And he gathered the 70 men of the elders of the people and placed them around the tabernacle. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to him and took of the spirit that was upon him and placed the same spirit upon the 70 elders. And it happened when the spirit rested upon them that they all prophesied, although they never did so ever again. And so something... something uh, uh, Something divine happens here. Is that as the people are complaining to Moses as one man, God says, look, man, I'm going to raise up 70 elders around you so they could carry the burden with you. Right? That's good leadership. Right? One man is not, is not called to carry all the burden. Right? But instead, he's going to distribute the load. All right? I'm not going to carry all myself, but you know, we, all get you a little, we all get a little bit of this burden. That way we could all bear it. And God said, I'm going to, I'm going to cause some of that Holy Spirit that, that's upon you to fall upon them also. All right? So we're told that the 70... And were there, the Spirit rested on them, and they began to prophesy. Meaning they began to speak the words of the Lord. So God is doing something in their midst. And this is verse 26. But two men have remained in the camp. The name of one was Eldad, and the name of the other was Medad. And the Spirit rested upon them. And now they were among those listed, but 
who had not gone out to the tabernacle yet, they prophesied in the camp. And a young man ran and told Moses and said, Eldad and Midian are prophesying in the camp. And so Joshua, so the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, one of his choice men, answered and said, Moses, my Lord, forbid them. And so what's going on is that, is that as God calls these 70 elders, 68 of them are right there with Moses. Two of them stay in the camp. We don't know why, but two of those guys were in the camp. And as the Holy Spirit falls on all 70 of them, the two guys that were in the camp begin to prophesy in the Holy Spirit. They begin to, to speak the words of God. And everyone around, everyone around them starts tripping out. Hey man, what's up with these guys? They're prophesying the word of God. One guy runs to Moses and says, Hey man, there's these two guys that are prophesying. Right? And then Joshua, Moses' assistant, tells Moses, Moses, he says, tell them not to do that. Right? He's jealous for, 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 for what they're doing. And Moses said this in verse 29. He said this to him, Are you zealous for my sake? He says, oh, that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit upon them. Man, and Moses returned to the camp, he and the elders of Israel. I love this. Because Moses wasn't uh, jealous for a position. He didn't care if someone else was prophesying. Right? He said, man, look, he says, I, I, he says, I, I wish the Holy Spirit would, would fall upon all of them, man, and they would, that they would all prophesy. He says, are you jealous for my sake? He says, oh, that the Lord's people, all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit upon them and like them, like, that's a good mentality to have, especially when it comes to ministry. And we have churches here, churches there, churches there, and, and the, the mentality of some people in church could be like, Oh man, well, hey, well, we're doing this over here, and you know, this is what God is doing over here, and man, you know what? That's they're they're off over there, and we shouldn't even talk to those guys that are doing over there, and you know, this is our thing right here. And we said, Man, the Holy Spirit is one, right? And the body of Christ is one, it's not divided. Right? It shouldn't matter if, if God is blessing those guys over there and if he's doing this over here and he's doing that with them over there. Hey, we're all the body of Christ. Right? There should be no, no divisions. There should be no contentions. And if God is prospering over there, man, let's, God bless him. Right? We should be happy for him that, that God is doing something over there. It's not, hey, this is my church and that's his church and that's their church and you know, we just keep to ourselves. No. Right? There shouldn't be any division in the body of Christ. Unfortunately, there, there is. Right? And this mentality kind of, sometimes you know, there's, there's this mentality of, of, of Joshua and of this other guy, we say, hey man, they can't be doing that, right? The Holy Spirit's moving here in this church and, and we're doing this, right? We're evangelizing the park and we're doing that. They can't be doing that. That's our territory. And really, we see that's one Holy Spirit that's working amongst the whole church. And so Moses again says, hey man, it's not about me. He says, are you zealous for my sake? He says, oh, that all the Lord's people were prophets, right? And that the Lord will put his spirit upon them. Right, man, the same here. Man, if, if, if the Lord were to call, man, if the Lord were to call a better teacher than I, than, my, than myself, and, and call him a city terrorist and pastor the church, man, I'll gladly step aside and serve that man. Right? If the Lord does. Because it's not about me. Right? It's not about us. Right? And my, 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 my goal here, my aim here is not to, man, keep all the spiritual gifts to myself and keep all the spiritual truths to myself. Right? Because, man, if I tell you too much, then you're going to know more than me and take my position. No way. The Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 4 that the, that the role of a pastor is for the equipping and the edifying of the believers. Meaning that it's my duty to give as much truth to you in such a way that you would be edified, that you would be equipped, that you would be built up, right? that you would discover your own spiritual gifts, and that you would operate in the body of Christ. Right? That's it. And not to hold it to myself, man, but there's a lot of people who are in this position who are like, man, you know what? I'm not going to give them too much information or else they're going to know more than me. Man, my prayer is, is, that, is that each and every one of you guys would grow. That each and every one of you guys would grow in the knowledge and the, the word of God and your spiritual gifts. Man, that you would even like, excel past me. I'd be happy. 
right? It was, a gospel, it was in uh, the writer, John, who says, he says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in truth. Meaning that, man, for, a, for, a, for a, a teacher of the Bible, to see you know, those who are, who are hearing the word, man, be taught and grow, right? And, and walk in the word, man, there's no greater joy. And when I hear you guys or somebody else, man, they're growing the word, they're reading their Bible, they're learning they're this, that, the other, man, it brings me joy. It brings me joy, and that's what I want. And so Moses said, look, man, it's not about me. He says, don't be zealous for my sake. He says, oh, that all of God's people, you know, would, would, would walk in the Holy Spirit. He says, and Moses returned to the camp, he and the elders of Israel. And then verse 31 says, now, now so now God's going to give them the meat. He says, now a wind went out from the Lord, and it brought quail from the sea, and let, let, left them fluttering near the camp, about a day's journey on this side, and about a day's journey on the other side of the camp. And about two cubits above the surface of the ground. And the people stayed up all that day, all night, and all the next day, and gathered the quail. He who gathered the least uh, gathered ten homers, which is like about like ten pounds. And they spread them out for themselves all around the camp. So God's going to, alright, says, look, I'm going to give you guys meat. And so God brings quail. And we're told that the quail... They were fluttering there in the wilderness and, they, and, they, and they, they rested about a day's journey from one side of the camp and a day's journey from the other side of the camp. And we're told that it was about, um, it was about two cubits from the surface of the ground. I mean, that, man, they were like piled up, up up to like four feet high. That's how many quail were around the camp. Imagine that. Man, you ever go to like uh, Leg Lake or something, you see all, those, all, the, all the ducks. Man, there's like, sometimes I feel like there's millions of them. You show up on one day and there's like, they're just everywhere. Right? Imagine all that all around the nation of Israel. Man, they're just about this high. Just quail everywhere. That's me. And it took them about a day to get to them. And so it says this, that they stayed up all that day, all that night, all the next day, and they gathered the quail. Man, they wanted meat. And God said, look, I'm going to give you enough meat until it comes out of your nostrils. So they went out. It says, but, verse 33, while the meat was still between their teeth, while they were still chewing it, it says, before it was even chewed, the wrath of the Lord was aroused against the people, and the Lord struck the people with a very great plague. So he could call the name of that place Kibroth Hatva, which means uh, the graves of craving. It says, So he called the name of that place, of, of that place Kibroth Hatva, because there they buried the people who had yielded to their craving. Man. So the people went out the man, they weren't satisfied with just getting enough for them to eat that day. It says that they, that they, that they spent all day. All night, a whole another day, gathering all this meat. Right? Really what they were doing is that they were indulging themselves in their sin. Mm. Right? In their cravings. They weren't happy with just tasting it. They were happy with just having enough for the day. But they were indulging it. Indulging in their sin. And we're told that as a result, man, the Lord caused a plague to come upon them. We don't know what that plague was. Maybe it was food poisoning. Maybe it was like some kind of, uh, you know, of disease from the birds. But man, they ate so much that they, they just died. They, they died. And it's crazy that the Bible even talks about this stuff, man. But, man, really the, the, the lesson here is that as they gave in to their lust, man, it brought forth death. Right? They wanted this one thing so bad, even though God had already provided for them everything they needed. The Lord let them go after this one thing, and it eventually became their destruction. Right? And it happens so much in the world, man, that us as believers, man, we're, sometimes we get to the point where we're not satisfied with what God has given us. We go out there looking for something else that we think is going to satisfy us in the world, and it ends up leading to our destruction. Sometimes death, but sometimes a physical or a spiritual destruction. Where at the end you end up so far away from God. Right? You never intended to be there in the first place. But because you were chasing after this lust. Man, you end up so far from God. 
Number 35 says, From Kibroth Hatbah, the people moved to Hazroth and camped at Hazroth. So they moved a few more miles. There's a psalm in the Bible, Psalm, Psalms 84. I think it's like verse 11 or 12, somewhere around that, that, that area. But it says this, it says, this, it says uh, the Lord God is our, is, is, uh, is our grace and shield. It says, He will give grace and glory. No good thing will He withhold from us. That's what it says. It says that God will not withhold any good thing from us. Man, but sometimes we feel like that. Like, man, Lord, I feel like you're just saving the best for someone else. I know this. Man, that if you've given your life to the Lord, man, He's going to give you the best. I say that no good thing will He withhold from us. Do you believe that? And that God's not going to withhold anything good from you. Right? As we're seeking Him, as we're walking with Him, man, he has, this, he has something for you. Right? And what He has for you is specific to you only. Right, man, apart from what he's doing over there, apart from what he's, what he's doing in her life, in his life, in their life, God has something specific for you. Right? And, and it's tailored just for you. And for you, it's the best. Right? He's not going to withhold any good thing from us. And then chapter 12 starts off by saying, Then Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married. For he had married an Ethiopian woman. And so they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? Also, And the Lord heard it. And now the man Moses was very humble, more than all men who were on the, earth, on the face of the earth. And suddenly the Lord said to Moses, Aaron and Miriam, come out, you three, to the tabernacle of meeting. So they all came out. And so on a, on a separate occasion, now we see that, that um, again, we're introduced again now to Miriam and Aaron, who are Moses' uh, uh, older brother and sister. Right? We see that God has well, we see that, that God has used them before, right? In, in the past. God used Miriam actually to save Moses. Then in the beginning of the book of Exodus, if you remember, when Moses was born and there was a decree given out from Pharaoh to kill all of, all the newborn baby boys. Right? It was it was uh, Moses' mother who put him in a basket down the river Nile. And it was Miriam who followed the basket all the way until it got to Pharaoh's daughter. And when and when she picked him up, she went over there, she said, Hey mommy, go find somebody to nurse him. And so God used Miriam, right, and, and the, to save Moses. And then later on, when God called Moses, he said, hey, man, can I call my brother Aaron to come, to come with me? And we see that, that, that Aaron was used as a mouthpiece for the Lord. He helped uh, Moses out. Then we're told that he was even made the father of all the priests, right? It was through his sons that, uh, that all the priesthood would come there in the, in, the, in, in the Levitical tribe. So, man, God has used Miriam and Aaron in mighty ways, right? in huge ways. But all of a sudden, they become to get... Uh, jealous of Moses' position, and we're told that they became um, they they became angry, and and they use an excuse, and they, and they says that 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 they spoke against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman that he had married. We're told in the book of Exodus that uh, that Moses married a woman you know who was uh, the daughter of Jethro. Right? So somewhere along the lines, she must have passed away. Right? The Bible doesn't include that for us, you know, but she must have passed away. And as they were there, man, Moses remarried. That's perfectly fine. Actually, his wife passes away, man. She has a desire to remarry. He remarries, right? But we see that most that Aaron and Miriam use this as an excuse to pick at something, you know, something further. They're just using it as like, all right, you know, as a hook, right? And this is our way in. So they say they say that they were dissatisfied because he married this Ethiopian woman, right? And they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? So their problem wasn't that he married this Ethiopian woman. Their problem was that they were jealous. That God was speaking through Moses. And they begin to say, hey man, what, does God only speak through Moses or what? What about us? 
Right? Has he not spoken through us also? So what, what they're seeking is a position, what they're seeking is a title, what they're seeking is, 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 is a recognition. Right? And notice that before Moses even heard it, we're told that the Lord heard it. It says, and the Lord heard it. Right? And now Moses again was very humble, more than all men who were on the face of the earth. And that's funny to me because Moses is the one who wrote this book. So he says, hey man, I was the most humble person, just letting you know. When, when these accusations came against me, when they began to complain against me, I stayed humble. And so he's kind of, he's covering himself there. And verse 4 says, And suddenly the Lord spoke to Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, saying, Come out, you three, to the tabernacle of meeting. So the three came out. Then the Lord came down in the pillar of cloud and stood in the door of the tabernacle and called Aaron and Miriam, and they both went forward. And then he said, And so we're going to see this, that as, as, uh, as Miriam and Aaron are complaining against Moses, they're saying, Hey, man, who, who made him a boss over us? Right? It does God only speak through Moses? Remember, God speaks through us too. Right? Why is, God, why is, that, why, why is he getting all the attention? Why is he in charge? Begin to, to, be, to get jealous for this position. We're going to see that, man, God's going to defend Moses. And this is a beautiful principle that we see in the Bible, man. Something I've shared with some of you guys. And I shared, you know, uh, I'm going to continue sharing this. That if you defend yourself, then God can't defend you. Notice that Moses didn't say anything. He didn't say, hey, man, what do you mean? Come on, guys. Mo, uh, Aaron, come on. You're the, you're the, you're the father of all the, of all the priests, man. What do you mean? You're my brother, man. I, I, what are you talking about? Miriam, come on, man. God used you when we came out from, the, from, from Egypt. Or hey, he, he didn't begin to defend his position. He didn't begin to defend his title. He didn't begin to defend uh, you know, his character. He let God defend him. And this is true. That, man, people are going to come up against you. At work, at home, at school, whatever. Right? And this is a good, or a good principle. Man, bring it to the Lord. You know, let God be your defense. But if you defend yourself, then God can't defend you. But if you let the Lord be your defense, man, He's the greatest defender. And so God called Aaron and Miriam and Moses. All right, you three, come over here. Come to the tabernacle. I got to talk with you guys. And then the Lord said this in verse 6. It says, Hear now my words. If there's a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak to him in a dream. He says, but not so with my servant Moses. He says, for he is faithful in all my house. I speak with him face to face, even plainly, not in the dark. He says, and he sees the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And so God is defending Moses. He says, look, man. He says, if there's a prophet among you guys, he says, I'll speak to him through, through visions and through dreams. He says, but not Moses. I talk to him face to face. So what he's telling him, he's, he's telling him, he's saying, look, man, Moses is, is, is esteemed higher than even any of the prophets among you guys. There were 70 guys who began to prophesy. He says, Moses is, is, uh, is even closer to me than that. He says, because I talked to him face to face. Later on at the, at the end of the book of Deuteronomy, he says that there was no man like Moses on the earth whom God talked to face to face as a friend talks to a friend. And so Moses had this, this intimate relationship with the Lord. And so he's defending Moses and he says, look, man, he says, I don't speak to Moses like I do with anybody else. Because that was their complaint, wasn't it? Hey, doesn't God speak through us also? That was their complaint. God heard the complaint. And he says, look, I don't speak to Moses the way I speak to you. He says, I speak to him face to face. I speak to him plainly. He sees the form of the Lord. He says, then why, why were you not afraid to speak against my servant, Moses? So the anger of the Lord was aroused against them and he departed. And when the cloud departed from above the tabernacle, suddenly Miriam became leprous. As white as snow. Then Aaron turned toward Miriam. And there she was. She was a leper. 
So this was a consequence of her sin. You know, that, that she began to, to get leprosy on her skin. This disease. It says, so Aaron said to Moses, Oh my Lord, please do not lay this sin on us, in which we have done foolishly and in which we have sinned. Please do not let her be as one dead, whose flesh is, is half consumed when, when he comes out of his mother's womb. So Moses cried out to the Lord, saying, Please heal her, O God, I pray. Then the Lord said to Moses, If her father had but spit in her face, meaning like, that's a shameful thing, like, man, if she had been shamed that much, says, Would she not be shamed for seven days? Let her be shut out of the camp seven days, and afterwards she may be received again. So Miriam was shut out of the camp seven days, and the people did not journey until Miriam was brought in again. And afterward, the people moved from Hazroth and, and camped in the wilderness of Paran. Man, so we see that, that Miriam, right, as she and Aaron are complaining against Moses. God hears her complaints. He responds, you know, and, uh, and, and, and Miriam gets struck with leprosy. And you would think, man, if you were Moses, and you just had the little rebellion come up against you, and all of a sudden, you know, they get what they deserve, you'd probably be like, or I don't know, maybe I'd be like, oh, that's what you get. <laughs> so you should have complained against me. You should have known. Man, but not Moses. Notice instead what does he do? Man, he prays for her. He prays for her. He says, oh my Lord, please don't lay this sin on us. Just please do not let her be as one dead. And I love that about Moses. You know that he's not like us. Right? Well, I mean, he's like us, but I mean, he's more like the Lord because he's forgiving. And really, we're instructed to do this as well. As we're going through the, through the Gospel of Luke on Sunday mornings, and we're getting through the Sermon on the Mount, what did Jesus say? He says, hey man, bless those who curse you. Pray for your enemies. You know, pray for those who spitefully use you. If they punch you in the cheek, he's like, hey man, give them the other cheek. If they, if they want to steal your coat, hey man, give them your, your t-shirt also. Like, man, we're called as believers, man, to forgive. We're called as believers to, to, to love. Right? And, and Moses is a perfect example of this. That his sister, man, even though she came up against them, instead of Moses saying, you know what, hey, man, that's what you get. Instead, he prayed for his Lord. Don't let her die. Don't let her die, Lord. So we're told that Moses cried out, saying, please heal her, O oh God, I pray. He intercedes on her behalf. I like that. Paul, in the book of Galatians, in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, as, as he's uh, instructing the Galatians, he says this, concerning a brother who falls into sin. He says, if... He says, if somebody falls into sin among the church, he says, your duty or your responsibility as a godly man, as a godly woman in Christ is to restore that brother back again, right? And so we see that in the church, man, people fall. People fall all the time. It's like a battlefield, right? You're walking with somebody next, in a couple of years, man, they, they fell on the wayside because of sin. They were kind of taken over and they're no longer walking with the Lord anymore. They're doing really bad. For us as believers, our job isn't to be like, oh yeah, man, I mean, man, he shouldn't have done that and I wouldn't have done that. And sometimes we do that. But we're told that our responsibility as godly believers, as mature believers, is to seek to restore that brother, seek to restore that person, that sister. And they fell into sin. All right. It could be me. It could be me. But it wasn't. But you know what? I'm going to restore that person. I'm going to build them up. I'm going to help them get back on their feet. I'm going to pour into them. I'm going to love on them. I'm going to show them the love of Christ so they can be restored back into the fold. And continue walking with the Lord. And so that's what Paul says. He says, us as believers who are mature, our duty is to restore a fallen brother. It's been said of the Christian that the, that the Christian is the only one who shoots his wounded. Man, that's heavy. The Christian is the only one who shoots his wounded. Meaning that, man, when, when, when believers fall in the church, we're more prone to uh, kick them while they're down than help them back up. And it's, man, unfortunately, it's true. It's true. I'm not saying all Christians, but 
generally, that's what you see the most. You know, it's man kicking them all they're down. When instead we should be uh, again, helping them get back up. And so that's what Moses does. Does he cries? He intercedes for her. He says, Lord, please heal her. He says, Lord, uh, restore her, please. And so the Lord did. And so she was put out of the camp for seven days. And notice, it says that the people did not journey until Miriam was brought in again. Oh, I like that. That the people stayed in, the, they stayed in one place. They didn't journey until Miriam was brought back in. Then he said, all right, man, well, you catch up, all right? We, we got we to go. Right? We got to go. We got to keep on with the Lord. He's leading us. I said, no, he said, instead, you know what? We're going to wait. All right, Miriam, come on. We're going to wait for you. I like that. Right? One body, right? Unity. The Bible says in Psalms that man, how beautiful, how beautiful, how pleasant it is for a brother to walk in unity. Right? That's what the Lord desires. He tells us there in, in, uh, in, in the book of Ephesians that, that, uh, that love should be that bond, that, that bond of perfection among us. Right? That's what the Lord desires. Says again, so Miriam was shut out of the camp seven days, and the people did not journey until Miriam was brought in again. And afterward, the people moved. Said, Once she was restored, all right, you're restored. Come on, let's keep on walking. That's what the Lord does to us, really, if you think about it. All right. The Lord's never left us. When we fall, man, does, has, has anyone up here fallen? And then the Lord says, you know, all right, you know what? You deserve that. Stay right there. I got, I got things to do. That's not God. Right? When we fall, man, what does the Lord do? Man, He so gently, so lovingly picks us up, ministers to us, washes our wounds, saying, all right, come on, let's, let's keep on going. Let's walk. I'll wait for you. I'll wait until you get back up, and let's keep walking. That's what the Lord does to us. You know, and that's what I love about the Lord. That he's so loving, man. He's so gracious. He's so forgiving. He's so merciful. He doesn't bring up our faults, but instead he heals up our wounds. He says, all right, let's keep going. All right? That's what the Lord desires that we should do with uh, one another. That's what Moses did with his sister Miriam. Amen? We'll stop right there. Father God, I just want to just thank you.